If you have a Bible, open to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Um, And as you're turning there, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, we put the text up on the screen there so that you can follow along with us. If you you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, uh, you can always get the YouVersion Bible app. It's really helpful. Uh, You can use that right on your phone or smart device. But we have have these shirts um, here that I'm repping. There's an all-black one like this one, or there's a white one. If you're interested in celebrating just Redemption's 10th anniversary, uh, you can pick one of these up at the info desk. They're only $12. Uh, You can get that right in the lobby right here after, uh, right after service. So um, I don't get a cut or anything like that. I hope it doesn't look like I'm trying to push merch, <laughs> but, but it's a cool way for us to celebrate uh, what God's done over the past 10 years here. So Philippians chapter 1 uh, is going to be our primary text here this morning. And I'm just going to briefly uh, share this passage and encouragement here from the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 1 Verse 27, listen to what the scripture says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, so the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to this church at Philippi. He's in prison. He's not with them right now. And he says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So on on this day, I want to give us just some encouragement from from Paul here. And he's sharing a desire that he had for the church in that day that I think is just as relevant and just as appropriate uh, in ours as well. There's two things that we're going to look at this passage, what Paul's calling the church to then and today. And that's focus... And unity. Paul's uh, exhorting this church. He said, I want you should have a focus. There should be a focus about your life, a focus to your church and unity. Because whenever you have a group of people uh, that are focused and unified, you have a very effective crew. If you look at the history of the early church, they were like that. These early followers of Jesus, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship and relationship with one another. They were devoted to sharing meals together, including the Lord's Supper, and they were devoted to prayer. The Bible tells us they were fixated on those things. They were a focused group of people. Acts would also tell us they had all things in in common, meaning that they would share all of their things with one another, and they they were doing their work in in the gospel every day. They were focused. They were fixated, devoted, so much so that their detractors said, look, these people are turning the world upside down. Cities are changing because of their focus. Cultures are changing because of what they're doing, because these believers who had focus and who had unity. 
Okay, so why is that important for us today? Because this is what the book of Philippians is all about. I believe it's what our church now needs now in an incredible way. Paul, who wrote this book, the Apostle Paul, he had unapologetically fallen in love with Jesus, head over heels in love with the person of Jesus. Paul, if you're not familiar with him, he had lived most of his life in a, in a very religious way. He was, uh, he was a scholar, uh, and in that religion, he had kind of dried up and become hardened and judgmental. And into that callous soul of Paul, Jesus breaks into his life, literally knocks him down and showed Paul his brokenness and overwhelmed him with his grace. And so Paul had fallen in love with this Jesus who had transformed him and forgiven him, who was a Jesus hater and, and a persecutor of people who are following Jesus. And now Paul is this champion of the good news of who Jesus is. And here he writes to the Philippian church and he says, you know what that's like. You know what that's like to encounter Jesus in such an incredible way. You know what it's like to be an absolute mess and to have Jesus heal you. Earlier on in this letter in chapter one, Paul, he calls them partners in the gospel. He calls them partakers of God's grace, meaning you know what it's like to be in need and to have Jesus rescue you. You're partakers of this grace, this grace that just overwhelmed Paul and seeped out of him. He's saying, you, Philippian church, you know what that's like. He says, you're with me in your love for Jesus. How do you know if you're a Christian? You love Jesus. You have a devotion for him. How do you know that you're saved? You cherish the Savior. You realize that he's better than anything that you can attain or achieve or add to your life, and you know that Jesus plus nothing is everything. There's just one problem with this Philippian church. They weren't really unified. They had a hard time getting along, which is probably hard for a lot of you to imagine. Like, oh man, Christians don't get along. I've never even heard of that. It's a thing, have faith, it's real, it's out there. But unfortunately, it really isn't that hard for us to imagine and it, because it happens all the time. Jesus people, churches, good people divide and try to compete with each other. Maybe you've experienced, you've, you've heard of another church uh, that's doing something really good, something really cool is happening, but there's a party of you like, ah, I can't really celebrate that because, you know, I've got this issue with that place or this issue with that person. And though, even though God's doing a work there, there's a part of you that's like, oh, I can't really enjoy that. I can't really celebrate. You have to find something that's wrong with it. And there's a reality that we have trouble getting along with each other. A few years ago, um, I was, when I was leading the young adult ministry here, uh, Jed and I was playing guitar, we, um, there, there was a a valley-wide young adult ministry flag football, like co-ed flag football tournament. Um, and I thought, oh man, this would be really great. It'd be a chance for us to get to know some of the other ministries that are around some of the other churches. So we put um, a team together and uh, the, the very first game, it got heated. I mean, it was just so bad. And um, I mean, we're yelling at the other team. We're yelling at the refs. I mean, it was not good. And it's mostly my fault because I had um, invited these two other guys. These two other guys were Christians, I think. Um, 
but they were like way better athletes than anyone in our whole ministry. I mean, I just like cherry picked these dudes. They were ringers. I was like, oh, you guys come be on our team. We're going to get in this flag football tournament and we are going to dominate in the name of Jesus. And so, um, and these guys were the worst. I mean, in the middle of the game, Jed comes to me. He's like, dude, what is their deal? What, why did you bring them? And I was like, I know it's so bad, but we're winning the game. So I don't know what to do. But it really was. I mean, it was, it was like Christians, churches at this thing. I was like, we look worse than the world right now. But that just exists in the church world. There's this type of weird, weird competition where we have a hard time getting along. I, the, there was a Baptist church that I was serving at um, before I came here. And like part of our marketing strategy was our service lets out earlier than the Methodists so that you can get to lunch before they do and get your spot at the, re- at the restaurant. But you see, the Bible says we have to love one another. It actually goes a bit further than that. It, it, it says we can't look like Jesus without one another. The, the same Paul who wrote to the church at Philippi, he writes to a, a church at a place called Ephesus in the book of Ephesians. And listen what he says, how he talks about this unity and this, this body and why it's so important. Ephesians chapter four, he says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Verse 11, so Christ himself, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up together until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, meaning become grown up, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up. Get the language here. This building up, growing up together in love as each part does its work. What Paul is teaching the church here is he's saying, look, God took his gifts and he scattered them among us to build us up until we attain the full measure of the fullness of Christ, meaning I need you in my life to look like Christ. And you need each other so that you can look and grow into what Christ has for you. Our potential in Christ cannot be reached individually. That's just not how God set it up. And if you want to be all that you can be in Jesus, you need the gift that God has given us called us. Because our spirituality, our spiritual life with God is always worked out in the context of community. So here Paul is celebrating the Philippians. He's saying, you know Jesus, you love him. I'm so encouraged by the way that you love Jesus. But we got to sort something out here. We've got to work together. And 12 times in this book, he talks about the glory of Jesus and that he's better. And when he goes to give them the application in verse 21, the text we're in right now, he says, he says, only. He says, above all, if there's just one thing, church, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the that, that phrase there, the conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of, is, is one word in the Greek. It's, it's polytuomai. Polytuimai. 
And, a, and one kind of translation could be uh, conduct yourselves as a citizen of a place. The root word of that Greek word is polis from where, where we get the word city. And so what Paul is saying is live like a citizen of a place. In fact, one translation of the scriptures has verse 20 says in verse 27 that says, above all, you must live like a citizen of heaven. That's what he's saying. He's like only above all, This is the thing, church. Live like a citizen of heaven. And this is the only letter that Paul gives this instruction to. It's the only church that Paul talks like this to. He only says this to Philippians. He only says it to Philippians because he knows that it's going to mean something to them. You see, back then, the city that you were from or the city that you lived in was a source of identity. And that's, that's still a thing today. You get your identity from a, a, a city. We're in playoffs in the, in the NFL right now, so there's a lot of like city pride that's now starting to come out. But, the, but that's how this was. Whatever city you were from, that was a source of identity. I have a, a younger sister. Uh, she's the middle child uh, of, the, of the four of us. And um, about 16 years ago, she moved to New York City to pursue this career in theater and in acting. And about a year after so that she had lived there, I went to Manhattan to visit her. And uh, now I come from a very loud and boisterous Italian family. It's the kind where like everybody always talks at once. Like nobody actually listens to each other. We just talk, 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 talk. But my sister Gail was ever never really like that. Um, she was actually always like the quiet child. I never really heard her talk until I went to go see her in a, a, her freshman year of high school. She was in Little Shop of Horrors and she was up there singing and talking. I was like, I didn't even know she, I never even heard her voice before. I didn't even know she could talk. She probably was trying to talk. We were just so loud over the top of her. So when I went to go visit her in New York, I wanted to go see Times Square. And she's like, look, people who live in New York do not go to Times Square. I was like, well, I don't live here. I'm visiting. I want to go see it. So let's go to Times Square. And I said, let's jump in a cab. She's like, people from New York don't take cabs. We take the subway. I was like, okay, well, I want to take a cab. I want to go. So we get in there and um, we're in the cab. We're two minutes into this ride. Now, my mostly sweet, silent, docile sister, two minutes into this cab ride, starts wearing this driver out, laying into him. She's like, turn the meter off. We're not paying for this. Like, what are you talking about? She's like, no, he's taking us the wrong way. He's trying to go the long way. He's intentionally trying to get more money from us. We're not paying for this. Turn it off. Not paying it. So she starts, like, and this dude turns around and starts, I mean, he's not looking at the road anymore. He's just yelling at her. And they have a full on like shouting match in this cab as we're going 100 miles an hour through the streets of New York City. I was like, Gail, it's going to be 15 bucks. It's fine. I'll pay for it. It's no big deal. She's like, no, this is not what we're going to, we're not going to pay for it. This is not it, whatever. And I said, what in the world are you doing? Why are you doing this? And she said, I'm a New Yorker. This is what we do. I was like, you're from Clearwater, Florida, but whatever. <clears throat> but see, the city had formed in her an identity. And with the Philippians, it was the same. And Paul knows that. He's like, that's why he's using this language. He's like, this city, this place that you're from has formed in you your identity. And so he's using this term. He says, live like a citizen of the place because he knows it would mean something to them. And here's why. 
Because in 42 BC, Octavian and Anthony and the army ran out to fight against Brutus and Cassius. So it's the Etu Brutus guy that killed Caesar. It's him. Octavian, he's marched out against Brutus. And when, they, and, and when they fought so bravely and so courageously that an appreciation of those men, he gave them this city called Philippi. And Philippi was a very influential city. And even though it was nowhere near uh, the capital city of Rome, he gave them all the benefits of Roman citizens, including they didn't have to pay certain taxes. So if you were a Philippian, you were really proud to be a a, a Philippian because of the history of this place. And so when Paul says, live like the city you belong to, that would resonate deeply with them. He says, you have this amazing heritage as a Philippian and he says, "You, you, you step into that. And he says, you also have this other spiritual heritage that you need to step into and and live out of that. Don't live as a citizen of Philippi first. Live as a citizen of heaven according to Christ. And what Paul is trying to draw out of them is like, you had a different warrior fight for you. You had him exit heaven and enter the darkness to defeat sin and death for you. He cast out sickness. He stepped into your chaos and he brought peace. He took your shame and guilt away. And he who knew no sin became sin on your behalf and took that on so that you could put on his righteousness or his rightness. You have a king who fought for you and bought you back and rescued you and now you're a citizen of his kingdom of heaven. And Paul says, that's what I want you to live into. That's what I want you to live according to. And Paul says, you, if, you, if you want to see the practical outworking of true spiritual oneness, it's in your love and your care for one another. John MacArthur, in his commentary, he makes this point where Paul's actually picking up on something that was very near and dear to the heart of Jesus himself. He says this, unity in his church was one of Jesus' great passions. At the Last Supper, he told his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. He says, this is how people are going to know that you're with me. He says, if you have love for one another, John 13. A short while later in his high priestly prayer, he prayed that all who would believe in him may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. There's, there's an evangelistic part to our unity. It says something to the world about Jesus and about us. The glory which you've given me, I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. He says, this amazing request was answered in the spiritual unity that actually does exist in the body of Christ. Believers share the eternal life imparted by God in the new birth so they are one with the Lord and one with each other. Okay, so how do you do that? How do we live a manner worthy of all that Jesus did for us? You could say, well, read your Bible. That's important. It is important. Prayer is absolutely essential to the life of the Christian. What we could serve, it's very needed, very important. Personal holiness, all good stuff, all good things. And Paul is for all those things. But right here, he, his focus is, is on unity. He says the way that's worthy of living according to all that Jesus has done for us 
It's like, it's the passion of Jesus and it's my passion for you, church. He's saying, you wanna, you wanna love Jesus? Love each other. Love us. You wanna honor him? Honor us. You wanna care for him? Care for us. That's what you're supposed to do this. And you understand this in your own life. If you came up to me and you said, Paul, listen, I just want you to know how much I really appreciate you. And in fact, I want to take you and your family out to dinner and a night out. I just want you to know how much I care about you and how much I appreciate you. And I'd say, that's fantastic. We would really enjoy that. Thank you very much. And you say, there's just one thing. Your seven-year-old son, Silas, he can't come. I can't stand that kid. (laughs) Now, what am I going to say? you know, you're right. He kind of smells like a wet dog and his hands are always sticky. I get it. I wouldn't want him around either. No, no. I'm going to say, well, listen, that's a deal breaker. You can't say you love me, but don't love my family, my kids. There's no separation between those that I love. How do you honor me? You honor those that I love and cherish, even when they're being difficult and hard to love. And I know that happens. I mean, it happens in this, in this room. There are some of you, you walked in this morning and you were just hoping you wouldn't see that one person. And they're on that side of the room and you're on this side of the room and you just hope that they just stay there. <laughs> or you see them and you just turn and go the other way or you pull your mask up over your face so they can't see you. That happens. But how do we love God? This is what Paul says. Look, we love his kids. 2020 was a tough year for churches all over the country, all over the world. And a lot of churches died in 2020. A lot of pastors quit in 2020. And how do churches die? No one starts a church with the intention that it's going to die. No, you start a church because you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of salvation to your neighborhood, to your city, to your state, and beyond. And you get together, and you ask, and you leverage, and you sacrifice, and you pray, and you ask God to do a work. But how do churches die? It's when the church starts to divide and cut each other from the inside out. Most churches don't die because there was some kind of attack from the outside in They die from a million little cuts from the inside because of the way that they talk about each other, the way that they treat each other. And so what Paul is saying here is he's talking about the beauty of Jesus and he says, church, I just want one thing. I want you to live in a manner worthy of what he has done. So whether I come and see you or I remain absent, he says, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul's not just talking about unity for unity's sake. He's saying, look, there's, there's something that we have to do in the world because the world is a difficult, difficult place. He's like, so we need to stand together. That word stand, it carries the idea of, of feet that are planted to offer resistance to something that's pushing against it. The, the, the language that Paul is using, he's trying to elicit this word picture of, a, of, a, of an athletic stance, particularly what a soldier would do when a soldier had to brace himself or brace themselves against an attacker. He says, stand firm. He says, I need you so that I can stand when life is hard. And many of you, if, if you're honest, you, you've, you've been in church a long time, 
And you know the songs, you know where to find the books in your Bible, but you're not very effective in making a difference for Jesus out in the world because when you step out of this building, you step out all alone. And you might say, well, you know, David beat Goliath all by himself. I can handle all the giants in my life by myself. And that's true. David did. He beat Goliath by himself. But if you keep reading, later on in Samuel, David goes out to battle and he becomes weary. And when he does, a relative of Goliath actually comes to kill David and pins him down. He's about to kill him, and Abishah steps in to save David's life. And you might have struggle in your life that you can handle for a moment, a night, but when you're weary and when you're tired, it leads to failure. And it's not just costing you you being all alone, it's costing us because you're not using the gifts that God has given you to build us up. And for some of you, the most godly thing that you could do is to find Christians that you can stand with because what Paul is saying here is we need each other to stand. And we need to stand together because God has something for us to do. There's a mission for our lives. This is what Paul says. He says, stand in one spirit together side by side because there are people who need the gospel. We're so busy in these moments of detracting from each other that we're missing what God has for us. The message of the gospel, the hope of the world to a broken and dying world. We need each other for the mission that God has for us. I'm not um, great at video games, especially like shooter video games. But there's some younger guys on staff that are friends of mine, and um, they like to play these games. And so I try to jump online and try to play these games with them. And the way that these games work is you're on a team, and you'd parachute into an area, and you try to kind of work together to have some kind of like defeat some enemies and like accomplish a, a certain objective. So um, I am like the worst person to have on your team, because I was constantly getting lost. I wouldn't parachute into the right place, and I was never going the right way where everybody else was going and I was always getting shot, and sometimes I was actually getting shot by the guys that I was on their team playing with because it was just too annoying to like have me out there. Listen, we cannot accomplish what God has for us, the mission that God has for us, if we're constantly shooting at each other. Um, Connor's leading us in worship this morning and leading us in singing. Connor is a great friend of mine. I love them. I love him. He uh, he started interning with us a few years ago, and uh, it, was, it was a student at GCU, and he just wanted to figure out, you know, could ministry be a, a path uh, for my life? Could I do that? And uh, you know, so he was just getting there and trying to figure it out and serving and you know working hard. And, and uh, one day he brought out a ukulele um, and started playing the ukulele, and I was like, uh, that's not very useful. Why don't you try this bigger version called a guitar and see if you can learn that? Um, and actually, Jed, who's, who leads worship for us, uh, took Connor under his wing, essentially, and worked hard and practiced with him and uh, just spent a ton of time with him. They have a really close friendship. And Jed became like this cheerleader for Connor to get him to the place where he is today, where he gets to serve in the church. And I look at that as a picture of like, well, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? I mean, Jed's a phenomenal worship leader in his own right, and he could have just said, listen, ukulele boy, you're never <laughs> going to get it. You know, you I just would quit if I were you. Or he, or he could have been super possessive of the stage and this moment and his voice and his leadership and all that. 
but he, sh he shares everything that he has so that Connor could rise up. It's a picture of what we should be doing for one another in the church. Share everything that we have. Lower myself at expense to myself, at cost to myself, so that you could rise up. Who's that sound like? The world needs us to stand together and strive us together. And we need you to strive together with us side by side. Because whenever we start telling people about Jesus and living out what he teaches us, Paul says, you're going to meet resistance. In verse 28, he says, that's to their destruction. Meaning when you start living according to Jesus, you're going to have friends who criticize you. And they're not just opposing you, they're opposing God. And that's something to fear. And that's something to pray for them because that's not good. Paul says that's not good for them, but it's a sign of your salvation from God that you're his and you belong to him. Because God has granted to you and gifted to you the ability to see the beauty of Jesus and he's given you the gift to suffer for his name. And he fought to win you, so you fight to proclaim him. He fought to purchase you, we fight to proclaim him. He loved you first and we love him back by loving one another, those who he purchased with his blood. When the world sees us stand together with each other and strive with each other, they're going to see a family that they want to be a part of. And the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forward when we love us. When we stay focused on Jesus and we live and love like him, God brings unity. So let's stand together. Let's strive together for the name and the fame of Jesus for the good of the world. And let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. And God, we do thank you for um, your word, and we do thank you for this moment. And we do thank you for the unity that we have, not just for the sake of unity, although that is a gift, God. But we have this unity, one, to remind us of what we have in you, Jesus, but two, for the sake of the world, that they might know you. And so, God, I do, I pray, um, that you would unify your church. God, not just this church, but your bride who is hurting um, and conflicted all over this country. And God, would you, um, would you unite your people God, under the common grace and under the banner of your love, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, amen.